0: Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. This week, we're re airing one of our classic shows tour of the solar system, featuring my interview with my planetary scientist colleagues, Steve Squires and Heidi Hamill. This episode was recorded before the groundbreaking Pluto flyby, which was accomplished by the New Horizon mission this past July. So you'll hear a few moments of anticipation for that mission. And after the show, I'm going to go a bit more in depth on some of the cool new discoveries that have come out of it so far.
1: Chuck, nice, Chuck. Welcome hey, back man. to the show. Thanks for having
0: me back, Neil. I will not soon forget the 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 Super Bowl show, the the football show. I was, you were on fire,
1: dude. Man. That was great fun.
0: You were you were you were out of control.
1: That was great fun, man. <laughs> Ready to get back into it today and get high on science.
0: We're gonna get really high on science uh, today's show. is a tour of the solar system. Sweet, a tour of the solar. System. I think you, every now and then you got to take a tour of your backyard. Fantastic. That's, that's what you got to do. Will and, you be
1: our tour guide.
0: Uh, will be your tour guide, but I have some help from two very competent colleagues of mine, one of them Steve Squires. He's the scientist behind the Mars Rovers. Wow, you know we we all read about the rovers and you saw pictures of the, right of the, the the terrain. He's in charge, and, and and these are his babies.
1: Did they blame him when they broke down? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, they blame him when they save. You know these things should have broken down long ago. Oh, really? Way long ago. Oh, so cool. he's been saving them. Left, he's he's their savior as, as it were. Fantastic. We're also will be hearing from Heidi Hamel. She's senior research scientist at the Space Sciences Institute in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, Colorado, cool. yeah, yeah. So that should be fun. But you know. You know who's a friend of Star Talk Radio? Uh, I do know Bill Nye, Bill Nye the
1: Science the, Guy. So, are you? Were you influenced by him when you were a kid? I absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and by kid, if you mean twenty, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so, I got a hold of Bill Nye. By the way, lately he's the executive director of the Planetary Society. Oh, he really? finally has like a real job, you know. Oh, really? It's like he it gets a paycheck and everything.
1: I, yeah, you know, honestly, I always wonder, what else does he do? What does he do? Except show up on TV and talk to kids.
0: Exactly. No, no. He's actually talking to grown-ups now, including Congress. Okay. So he's going to start us off and give us put us in a good way, need getting us to think about where we are in the solar system and where we might one day go.
2: The most recognizable image to anyone on Earth is the Earth as seen from space. When you look above you at night these days, I hope you notice occasional very bright objects among the stars, other planets. Humans have spent centuries trying to know all about them. By exploring the solar system, first with our eyes, then telescopes, and these days with extraordinary spacecraft, we have come to know that Mars is cold, Venus is hellishly hot, Saturn would float if it could, and our Earth is but one world among thousands of objects, whirling about a common star." Between and beyond the planets are all manner of objects. Comets, moons, asteroids, distant icy plutoids, and dust. Often as a young scientist, I'd be given a textbook with a place to write my name inside the cover. Below that, my street, my city, and state. But I'd go on. United States, North American continent, Earth, and Sun. Because we've explored our solar system, I could have added the third rocky ball from the medium-sized star. Have a look around. Your life is changed every day by explorers who've pondered our place in space. For Star Talk Radio, I'm Bill Nye, the science guy.
1: That's my boy, Bill Nye. Nice. Okay, I just got to ask what, you that. What's that? Plutoids. Plutoids. Is that yeah. like a cosmic mint? <laughs> Plutoids. A plutoid.
0: Uh, what a, it's, that's a great, a great product name there. Right <laughs> that there. Would be. We should start that out. Exactly. But what would your breath smell like? That's uh, the question. Uh, hope, hopefully not <laughs> cosmic dust. That's <laughs> cosmic. Yeah, you know, got to watch out what stuff smells Plutoids. like. Plutoids. <laughs> so the solar system, uh, its formation was four and a half billion years ago from a huge giant gas cloud, and right in the middle of that gas cloud, where it's densest and hottest, that's where you get the sun. And that's what forms first. And then you get planets and other stuff forming around it. Okay. There was a day when if you learned about the solar system, right. it would be like an enumeration of the planets one after another. Sure. And But – Excuse me, That's, the solar system is so much more than that. From the moons around planets, to, to the dust in the plane of the, of, the, of the solar system, right. to, to asteroids, some of which hit the Earth, comets. Mm-hmm. It's a very rich, dynamic place. And in case you really want to geek out on the sun, okay. the sun has an actual official classification code. Okay. It's a G, to, capital letter G, right. Arabic numeral 2, okay. Roman numeral 5. So
1: G two five yes in three different uh, <laughs> languages and letters and alphabets and number systems. Each one means something Each one different. Yeah, Yes, different. you
0: want to geek out on the sun, that's what it would. That's what it is. Now, G2-5. why G two
1: Because that really. I don't get it. Okay, so G-, G-,
0: G tells you what the temperature is. Okay, and which is a gazillion degrees. Gazillion, that's what G stands for. Really, gazillion No. Okay.
1: <laughs> for a moment, I almost <laughs> felt smart. I was like, I got it right. <laughs> so
0: the stars in order of decreasing uh, temperatures: O, B, A, F, G, K, M. Okay. So the sun is one of the cooler of the stars. Oh,
1: yeah, you know it's, it is, it, baby, because it's here it's in our cool. solar system. Ah, it's cool,
0: but it's actually white hot. Okay, and the sun is often portrayed as yellow, but it's actually white. Just go outside. And look, it's white <laughs> in broad daylight. It's white, <laughs> right? What happens when it gets low on the horizon, then you can look at it without burning out your eyes. Hey, look, the sun is yellow
1: orange because right. the atmosphere just changed. Its so, color. those are particles in our atmosphere exactly.
0: that actually change the color. Cha- that ch- actually, what the particles do is b- scatter the blue light out of the
1: rainbow, leaving behind the red and the orange. So, basically, if you were in space. You would look at the sun and be white, no matter It'd be what. Be white, adult. no matter what. No matter how you burn put your, your head. eyes out, and <laughs> that'd be the end that
0: of it. That'd be the, end. the last experiment you did.
1: <laughs> so what I've got is let's go to my
0: let's go to my colleagues. Uh, they visited me in New York in my office. Steve Squires, principal investigator of the Mars Rovers, professor of astronomy at Cornell University, and Heidi Hamill, who is who is total planet babe. This is she's all about planets. Sweet. And so let's find out what we all have to talk about. So, Steve, I keep thinking of you as like Mr. Mars. <laughs> Anytime I look up in the sky and Mars is there, I'm thinking of your two rovers there. When you look up at Mars in the night sky, is that what do you think that too? You know, Mars would, would you just
3: wish you were there? Mars looks different to me than it used to. It used to be I, I can remember before we launched them, looking at Mars in the night sky, and it just looked impossibly far away. So now it's your backyard, and I look at it now and I think I know this. You're a kid playing it, it, in your backyard. It, 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 it's a sandbox. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, just sandbox. To, it feels totally different to look, to, to look at Mars now than it did a long time ago. Yeah. Do
4: you see it, though, do you, when you see it in the sky, do the pictures from the rovers, is that what you see? Or- uh,
3: kind of, except I don't think in terms of pictures. I, I sort of feel like I know what it would be like to be there. You know, Not just the pictures of the surface, but I know what the clouds in the sky so look you, like. The rovers, I know the seasons. The yeah. rovers are his avatar. <laughs> it kind of feels yeah. like that, yeah, it does, and I, I, we've experienced Mars through those rovers for so long, I, I kind of feel like I know what the place is like now. Yeah, but are you now sort of, do you have Mars on the brain
0: so that you? it's hard to think about the rest of the solar system? No. how Heidi, you get around the solar system, I right? I do,
4: yeah, I look at a lot of other planets besides just Mars. So you're not but just... We don't have that, we don't have those images, we don't have those rovers on the surface, so I still think a lot in pictures.
0: Plus, half your planets don't have surfaces.
4: Well, that's true, yeah. they've right. got, But they've got... I have to
0: ask, what's your favorite?
4: You know, it changes with time.
0: Uh, it's just like picking your children, right? Yeah, that's what? <laughs>
4: exactly. I don't, I don't play favorites. Uh-huh. You know, at different times, different planets do different things. Mm-hmm. And so if you were looking at you know, Uranus at Equinox and it's busted out And that's the official, clouds. it's not
0: Uranus, right? It's Uranus.
4: Yeah, you know, I kind of gave up on that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up on that. You, you know, were for sure. a while, I was on a mission to, uh, to educate people about Uranus. And then my own hometown paper wrote a story about those yellow lights, you know, that they were trying to cost efficiency. And the headline was For my, the nighttime. Yeah, for, yeah. For street, yeah. For, for street lights. Right. Mm-hmm. Street lights at the night so that it would be darker, um, less light pollution. And, and some people didn't like it. And they ran a headline about the Uranus colored lights. <laughs> And that's when I gave up. But yeah, I would call it Uranus. Um, mm-hmm. That's a more traditional. But, you know, when Voyager flew by Uranus in 1986, it was dead. There was like maybe 10 clouds if you really stretch the contrast. So, Uranus is a big ball
0: of gas with yeah. no surface features.
4: Basically, yeah. I mean, that's right. If you and I were on a spaceship outside it when Voyager flew by. When Voyager flew by, it didn't see anything. And so everyone thought it's dull and boring. Well, that's not what it's like right now. It's in a completely different season. And the atmosphere is turning on, and there's bright clouds, and there's dark spots, and there's all kinds of activity on this planet. And it's my favorite right now because it flies in the face of what we were taught in school about Uranus. We, you know, We were taught that... I remember like, the
0: Uranus. books. It's, yeah. it, it, Uranus was an example of a boring... It's the surfing. boring one, yeah. The boring. No, no, that's
4: right, which is just absolutely not true right now. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. books are starting to finally catch up with reality.
3: Now Mars, of course, is a dynamic place. Yeah, it's-, it's changing all the time. I mean, it's got seasons, very much like the Earth does. Uh, very different at different times of year. It's it's not only very much like it's like almost exactly like the Earth does, right? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. tipped how many twenty five degrees. 25, and we're 23. 23 and a half, and yeah. A half. So it's it's almost the same. The rotates longer, once, of course. Rotates once in how many? 24 hours and 39 minutes. And let me tell you, if you're operating rovers on Mars, that just plays havoc with your life. Okay, next time that happens to me, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, you know, you would think <laughs> Listeners,
0: when you're operating rovers, <laughs> just just get get ready for this You know, you device. would think it would be
3: nice to be able to sleep in an extra 39 minutes each day, but it, it, it kind of adds yeah, up in weird ways. It gets, ways. Out, of yeah. sync, it gets it? out of sync, doesn't oh, it? It gets out of sync. well you yeah. think it's like... Uh, in, A slow jet lag. We lived on Mars time for months. We had Mars alarm clocks, Mars stopwatches. Uh, We had food service on Mars time, maid service in an apartment on Mars time. We had blackout curtains on the windows, so you couldn't tell if it was daytime or nighttime. It was like being in a casino. Did you
4: adjust to it, or did you really feel human and terrestrial because your bodies couldn't adjust to it?
3: Our bodies could adjust to it just fine as long as Earth did not interfere in our lives.
4: In other words, the blinds on the windows were absolutely.
3: Th- that was fine, and if you have to live a day that's twenty four thirty nine, it's perfectly easy to lead, unless you have to interact with real human beings in the real world so on Earth. So you like basically <laughs> <laughs> like a spouse, or you <laughs> yeah. walk your dog, yeah. or something <laughs> that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> so what you're saying is you were basically in a Mars habitat.
3: Your yeah, we kind, of, we kind of were, but then mm-hmm. there would be events, you know, somebody would decide there had to be a meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning Pacific time, and if it's in the middle of my night, I was still expected to show up, and that was when it got difficult. Wait, I thought you were in charge. <laughs> uh, not when it came to interacting with the press. Okay. When we had press conferences, they were at 8 a.m. Pacific, and that was it. And, um, yeah, that, telling CNN that we want to have our press conference at 3 a.m. just didn't work real well. So the, pr- the press likes, <laughs> likes, likes your rovers. They, I think they do.
0: Wow to geeking out on the planets, dude. Right there. That
1: was like geekapalooza.
0: Geekapalooza, isn't it great? Each, everybody has a favorite planet. You know, yeah. How many people in the street? You know, just well. That's my favorite planet for these eleven reasons.
1: You yeah. Know? Well, most people you ask, "What's your favorite planet?" They're going to be like the one I'm standing <laughs> on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not the one. Well, this one used to have no surface features, and then cloud layer. There's a whole analysis of what they follow and why, and right. and and it keeps them pumped
1: every single day. Yeah, I'm just I'm just glad to know that Mars has seasons. Yes. Yes,
0: and polar ice caps and. Pol- and- This uh, this accounts for its allure in the history of science fiction writing. Why people have chosen Mars as a target for life, more so than other planets.
1: Oh, (laughs) darling, I can't wait until we take spring in Mars.
0: (laughs) Not only that, what what we have on Mars is not only the rovers, they're orbiters as well, so that we can know where we might send the rovers next. Otherwise, you're kind of driving blind. And what's good about rovers is it's a mobile geologist, and you don't have to go there. Plus, the rover doesn't have to come back. Okay, so if you send a human being, they probably they usually want to come back normally. <laughs> the you got to feed them, you know.
1: Right. You got to send a misanthrope. <laughs> I hate you guys. Yeah, yeah, get get out of here go go to Mars.
0: <laughs> so one of the things we found recently in Mars is methane emanating from the sides of ravines in Mars. Really? Yeah, and methane is the kind of gas that is produced in the anaerobic digestion of food.
1: Okay. So Actually, Mars is a big giant fart, is what you said. Well, no,
0: did I say, did I? I I did. Okay. (laughs) You know, that sounds. Chuck, that's why we have you on the show. That (laughs) That actually
1: sounds more like Uranus. (laughs) Or or should I say, Uranus? No, Uranus. (laughs) Uranus. You just got schooled on that one. Uranus, that's what it is. Uranus. So, uh,. After
0: the break, we'll talk about the search for life and how the search for water is driving the search for life, because everywhere on Earth where you find liquid water, you find life. Every place, including places like the Dead Sea. The reason why they call it the Dead Sea, they right. didn't have a microscope to tell them <laughs> the, what would do
1: the backstroke in the- But there, is, there are things alive in the Dead Sea. Not
0: fishes, but there's other stuff that's alive for sure. Right. And you are listening to Star Talk Radio. Follow us at StarTalkRadio.net. We are on Facebook, Star Talk Radio, and- we we tweet at guess what, Chuck? Star, Star- Talk Radio. At Star Talk Radio. <laughs> and I tweet the universe at Neil Tyson and uh, Chuck Nice. You I'm are
1: at nice, Chuck Nice. Who said you were nice? <laughs> it certainly was me. Because <laughs> nobody else is saying that. Nobody else is nope. saying that for sure. I keep trying to convince people. You're
0: listening to Star Talk. Stay tuned for another segment.
1: Welcome back to Star Talk. Here's
0: more of this week's episode. And we're talking about the solar system today, a tour of the solar system, basically. Right. We have two mm-hmm. of the world's experts to serve that up. One is Steve Squires, who runs the Mars Rovers, which we've all heard about. Everyone's heard about the Rovers, even if you didn't know he was the man in charge. As there's a whole team, of course, but he's the he's He's the, he's main, the top banana. The top banana. There you go. And Heidi Hamill, who's an all round planet... Geektress. I mean, or, uh, is that the word? Geektress. Geektress. That like not, well, you just we, made it up. I not, like it. We make it we right just, on the spot. And roll. And so the solar system is full of a lot of sort of alien worlds. There are moons and planets and comets and asteroids and and one planet is different from the next one. Moon is different from the next. Right. These are these are exotic places. Yes. And, is there any place you one of these you might want to visit one day?
1: Pandora. I just oh, love those blue people. <laughs> they're so adorable with their little tails. and I love them. And, the, and they're, so,
0: they're so nimble on tree limbs. Exactly. <laughs> you worry about me sometimes. You know, because there's so much going on in the solar system, not everything has a perfectly circular orbit around the sun. A circular orbit is the only orbit you can have and not hit something else. Okay? Uh, okay. If you do not have a circular orbit there's a Chances chance are. So you're gonna get hit you're gonna hit something something's gonna hit you
1: now from what I understand aren't there planets here in our solar system that have an elliptical orbit
0: yes it, uh, uh, no not anymore no. <laughs> <laughs> Pluto don't get not- me started on Pluto uh-huh. we'll take it outside <laughs> let's go Let's go back to Steve Squires and Heidi Hamill they're gonna tell us how what kind of a shooting gallery the solar system actually is now Heidi you go way back with the press my first encounters with you as I think with many were with the comet impact on Jupiter? You right. were like the face the of the first, comet.
4: the first impact on Jupiter. Yeah, there's more than one. We just had another one in July. Oh, I know about that. I forgot where you all been, about that.
0: Where I, I just—I've been busy. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, it's
4: an impact. It's, you know, it's the size of the Earth kind of thing. Big so, explosion. So
0: Jupiter's kind of asking for it, right? Yeah. Obviously. Well,
4: yeah. Well, it's you know, a big it, target. Big. Well, it's there to take one on the chin for us. You know, it's, it's a big like, target. That's, big that's, that's, that's really true. Really, it's protecting us. It's protecting us. It's a big
0: brother protecting us. Yeah.
4: But yeah, my first interactions with the press on any Mm -hmm. large scale were back in 94 when we were doing weather broadcasting from Jupiter.
0: So what what was going on every day on Jupiter?
4: Absolutely. It was pretty exciting stuff.
0: Yeah. So if that happens just in the last couple of decades, this must be going on all the time, right? We're not living in some special time when Jupiter's getting hit.
4: We thought we might have been lucky the Mm -hmm. first time and... When it happened, just exactly fifteen years later, we realized, hmm, maybe we aren't so lucky. All right, okay. here's
3: a question. Now that you know what to look for, now that you know what an impact on Jupiter looks like, is there data mining you can do? Can you go you back know, through old pictures? Data mining. So, even, so it's like looking after, back in Even it, oh, after
4: yeah. the ninety-four impact, some folks went and did do that. They went back and looked. We had the Planetary Patrol telescopes. I don't know if you're aware of yeah. that mm. network of twenty-four-inch telescopes that were just studying Jupiter. You know, creating an
3: archive of data exactly, yeah. and
4: there's nothing like Shoemaker-Levy nine. Mm-hmm. You know, the big one that '94 was. There. So
3: you would have seen it. The you pictures are good enough it. that you'd know. absolutely. Okay. That's mm-hmm. right. And
4: people, you know, do talk about the historical record. There's reports of Cassini himself, not Cassini the spacecraft, but Mr. Cassini,
3: Cassini, Cassini the guy.
4: Cassini the guy who did. It's these weird drawings. to think there are people
0: with names after spacecraft. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence! Sense, <laughs>
4: when you say Galileo, you're know, talking about Galileo the guy or Galileo right. the spacecraft. Cassini drew pictures. Of or the European.
0: Ups- <laughs> Yeah. Navigation system, you know, right. That's right. Their counterpart right. to our GPS.
4: You got to get some more astronomers' names in play, like he, He's up, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson. No. and then, <laughs> <laughs> name, mission, named after you. You people have to die, those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, not that yeah. That's
0: right. Yeah. These are named after dead people. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But
4: people did go back and look, and and they haven't seen conclusive evidence in the past of of any big events like this. But I'll tell you, nowadays these amateurs have terrific telescopes. They have amazing uh, CCD uh, systems.
0: Allow me to clarify. In most professions, if you accuse them of being an amateur, it would be an insult. Whereas in astronomy, amateur is a badge of pride and courage. Uh,
4: Well, and also, they do terrific science now. There's a synergy between the professional astronomy community that basically has the really huge telescopes, mm-hmm. and the amateurs who have smaller telescopes, but they're terrific, and they have tons of time, because the amateur just goes out at night and spends all night looking, whereas...
0: And they're in every time zone.
4: Every time zone, yeah, all around yeah. the world. With these big telescopes like Hubble or the Keck 10 meter, you might get half an hour a year. Mm-hmm. And that's all the time you have to look at your objects. So we rely on the, the amateur community to feed us information, about things like impacts on Jupiter. It was an amateur who spotted that and alerted the professional community. And this then this we, later, the, the second the, impact. The second yeah. one,
0: okay. that's right. So I'm sitting between two very different kinds of scientists now. One who, you, Heidi, who are still using telescopes. She's kind of behind the time.
4: <laughs> <you know? laughs> no, I'm looking at things that are far away. You're still looking
0: at And Steve, you're just there, you know? Yeah. Forget yeah. You, you don't worry about the optics. You don't
3: worry about bad weather. You're oh, just we there. worry about both of those, my friend. First of all, we got optics all over these rovers. Second, we are very, very sensitive to the weather on Mars. Okay,
4: well, but it just- is true that he can send spacecraft to his object and get them there within, you know, a reasonable funding cycle. Before he dies. Before yeah. he yes. dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we want to start talking about planets around other stars, yeah, we aren't going to be sending you're spacecraft. Yeah. Or
3: even even some of the, uh, you know, some of the the planets in the outer solar system. If you're talking about a Neptune to, uh, a mission to Neptune. The timescales for pulling that off are very long.
0: Hey, well, so that's why the Pluto go. mission, the New Horizons, <laughs> on, that was was like a light payload with some really huge engines right. to get yeah, it there. That's and, right. Yeah. 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 That one was that that was booking, and
4: it's still on its way, and we got years to go. Yeah. Another Dead, five years.
0: So it's it's humans attack the solar system. That's yeah. what this is about, Jack.
1: That's I've learned some things, man. Well, this is
0: what we're. This is at the point of the show.
1: The the thing I learned uh, that most stuck out was that in astronomy, size matters. Yes, it does. Everybody has telescope envy. <laughs>
0: yeah. So it, whatever size is your, ta- in fact, you go to astronomy conventions. How big is yours? Right. You know? <laughs> it's true, but here's the problem. At some point, you got to carry the thing to the observing site. And above a certain size, you just can't You count. can't do it. You, yeah, you right. can't even do it. So it's, Yeah,
1: I know, I know what you mean.
0: It's, more, it's not <laughs> 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 Shuck. <laughs> Shuck out of control. Okay, let me shut up. So what, we have, so what we have going on in the solar system is that planets are no longer just dots of light with pretty atmospheric conditions that photograph through a telescope. We can actually go there and look at surface features. And so there's a whole frontier of planetary science called comparative planetology. And we, if there's a mountain on one planet, look for a mountain on the other. There's craters, valleys, uh, riverbeds. You compare one object to another. And and especially for the terrestrial planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. They're small. They're rocky. Right. And so we can learn about one by studying another. For example, so we can ask, well, while we've been going to Mars for the past 30 years, guess where the Soviet Union back in the old days, guess where they went the now, most? Where, Venus. Really? Yes. And they had a whole series of Venera yeah. Venera spacecraft.
1: Venera yes, that's, spacecraft. Yes, that's
0: what they're called. That's right. Venera. So that's the genitive...
1: Kind, kind of sounds like a medical condition. Well, that's all I'm saying. I'm just
0: saying. Well, well it's funny that you should ask. <laughs> <because> <laughs> in,
1: man, I got a bad case of Venera, man. Uh,
0: that's what I'm, let me tell you. Go ahead. So what happened was... Astronomers, when we figured, you try to come up with words of for names for where you come. If you're from Earth, Earthling. Okay. If you're from Jupiter, you're Jovian. If you're I Venus, did
1: not know that. <laughs> you didn't know that. You didn't by Jove. No, you are that, by Jove the, comes from. Jupiter, of course. Jupiter, of course.
0: Yes. Okay. And so, and Venus would be Venusian. Venusian. If you're for, if you come from Venus, you're Venusian. Okay. And so, the reason why we came up with Venusian is because the proper genitive form. Of Venus uh-huh. is venereal. And the medical doctors got to that word before we did. And yeah. I, I am so pissed off. That is so cool. I am so angry about that. And I've, now it, they took the word right out right from right out from front of you guys. And and so they and and why name it after Venus? Mm-hmm. Because it's the diseases common to love and beauty and that all that go with it. That makes sense. And that's Venus, the goddess of love and the, beauty.
1: Oh my god. I'm just happy to know that, you know, this little I have that it needs antibiotics is so romantic. (laughs) TMI right
0: there. <laughs> TMI.
1: So, oh, it'll clear
0: up. Don't worry. Now, now here's the problem on <laughs> Venus. Yeah, if we sent you to Venus, it would all be cleared exactly. up because it's 900 degrees Fahrenheit there. Oh, sweet. There's a runaway greenhouse effect going on there, and that makes it very hard to investigate because your metals melt. It'll melt lead, for example. You can't have wow. lead, lead solder or anything.
1: Only it'll, Superman could do that, so uh, that's hot. Is, is that right? Yeah, it's laser vision. Oh,
0: okay. You yeah, know, we he should couldn't, do it.
1: What's, what's funny, he couldn't see through lead? But yet he could melt it with his heat vision.
0: Interesting. How crazy is that? That's crazy. You know, we're going to do a special show on the physics of superheroes. Get out. Should we invite, should I get you back for that?
1: Oh, man, if you don't, You'll I will never speak to you again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. That, that's that's not – we'll, we'll work that one out. And so of these destinations, Pluto is on our targets, the ex planet Pluto. It's okay. got a, what's called the New Horizons mission. It's booking. It's the fastest hunk of hardware we have ever sent anywhere. Wow. It's on its way to Pluto right now to we'll get there in 2015. And that's, we're headed there
1: and so that's one hell of a road trip it's it's
0: one hell of a road trip and it's it's on hugely powerful rockets because the principal investigator of that mission wants to make sure you get to pluto before he dies see that's how that works (laughs) (laughs) this is a number one rule like a
1: trip to my mother-in-law's house (laughs) scientific
0: investigation and so they're all met we have spacecraft going to comets to asteroids and so we're all over the solar system now it's a it's a fun time to be alive because the solar system is no longer this distant place wow and when we come back after the break i as i promised before we're going to talk about life the search for life in the universe what are the conditions that a planet or an object have to have in order for there to have life as we know it right because maybe this could be some stuff that that life as you don't know you're listening to star talk radio stay tuned more up next Welcome back. Here's more of Star Talk. Now, we're not going to Pluto to look for life. It's too cold. It's too far. It's too dark. It's too everything that we can imagine that could serve life. But there are other places in the solar system that could serve this need. And we talked to two of my favorite colleagues, Steve Squires and Heidi Hamill, too. We had a geek fest. In my office. Geeking out. We were geeking out on the solar system. D- d-
1: just giddy. I can hear we were the giddy. giggling now. We were giddy. Let's, <laughs> let's find out
0: what they say about our search for life in the solar system. We love the planets, but the real goal is we want to find life. Mars has been a seductive prospect for life since the beginning, since Lowell. yep. Okay, Percival Lowell. Yep. Thought he saw Mars. A little
3: misled, but you yeah, know, okay. he, had the, he had the right idea. His heart was in the right place. <laughs> yeah, his heart was in the right place.
0: <laughs> you know, he's the one who invented the canal story. Go
3: mm-hmm. you know, quickly tell us that the canal story. Real well, quick. basically, what happened was that people looked through a telescope and they saw. Years ago. In mom- yeah, hundreds years ago, in moments of brief atmospheric clarity, they could see what looked like a fine network of straight lines on the planet's surface, and they were so straight and so regular that. The people looking at these concluded that not only were they evidence of life, they were evidence of intelligence life. Now they were
2: correct
3: but the life was at the wrong end of the telescope. <laughs> <laughs> what they were seeing was an optical illusion. And, and, uh, and didn't then, know enough about illusions to... Yeah, to and, and, yeah, and in fact, there there's nothing of the sort on the surface of Mars, but as we've learned in recent decades, Mars is very interesting in other ways. Nonetheless, yes. nonetheless
0: with yes. possible evidence of running water. So the two water places that I know of is Europa, one of Jupiter's moons, one of my favorite places just to think about, to dream about. Because mm-hmm. I want to go ice fishing on Europa one day. And of course Mars, yeah. possibly under under surface aquifers. And Heidi, how is Europa kept warm? It's not Europa's- the sun. No. Yeah. It's
4: really kind of a gravitational tidal pumping um, mm-hmm. with the other moons around Jupiter that kind of bend it. You know, the analogy I use is if you take a credit card and you bend it back and forth, I and try not it to, gets warm. I
0: try not to do that. With
4: it's old a credit, credit cards. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: <You should laughs> a piece mm-hmm. yeah. okay. okay. of coat hanger. A coat hanger. A paper
4: clip. You, you okay. bend a paper clip back and forth a whole bunch, and you touch it, you feel it gets warm. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Same thing is happening with this moon. Uh, you know, Europa and Io, they're kind of getting flexed and bent, flexed and bent, and it heats them up. And you know what? Don't forget about Enceladus when you're talking about water worlds. Enceladus, we now know, is just... Moon blast of... Moon of Saturn. Saturn. A little
3: tiny one, too. It's also tidally heated. Mm-hmm.
4: Tidally heated. Yeah. With the same flexing to heat it up. But it's just blasting water out of its southern pole.
3: Geysers, basically. Are these not ice volcanoes, or, or what are... No. Um, it's liquid water coming out.
4: It, it's water. Yeah,
3: it, you can think of it as volcanoes. It's just that the magma is water instead of being molten rock. It's pressure that builds up and it spews forth. water. I mean, yeah. you
4: mm-hmm. could, if you flew a spacecraft through it and collected it and you were able at a, yeah. room temperature, you could drink And, of
0: it. course, every place on Earth we have liquid water, we have life. So therein is the temptation.
3: That's so where the temptation is. What would you bet on, it.
0: Mars or, or Europa, as a, the place, if there's life other than Earth in the solar system, That we would find it. Today.
4: Today. Yeah. See that's the question, is that you're talking about life today or life ever existed? Because it's a different question.
3: Today I would say you're open. If I knew how to Europa, do not Mars. If
4: I, if and I knew no how, Mars
3: if I knew how to do submarines on Europa, I wouldn't be screwing around with rovers on Mars. Ooh, yes, ooh, sir. What
4: if you ooh. dug down into Mars? Doesn't it get warmer?
3: Yeah, yeah it, it does. Can't you, yeah, it does. You got, yeah. and
4: you got water as you get further. Yeah, than I don't
3: know. know how, I don't know how to drill down hundreds of meters on Mars. Either. Well, you don't know. Both tough. But, but,
4: but, you know. if but, you don't but, know how to drill on Europa, but I if, you if don't they're really,
3: yeah, I mean, they're both huge technological challenges. But if there truly is, wait, just how thick is the ice on Europa approximately? We don't even know for sure that there's an ocean there. Well, I saw the picture. Ten kilometers, hundred kilometers. It's likely, but it is unproven. It's likely. I saw the ice. It looks like. I, I know. i make a
4: picture for you, Neil. You it looks like. Ice. But
3: you going to spend tens of billions of dollars doing a submarine mission to an ocean that you don't know for sure exists? Okay. All right, we got work to do there. We so. got, yeah, we, right. got to, we
4: got to learn a lot about the environment.
3: I want this to happen in, in, in. in my lifetime, Uh we got two key people eat, here. You know, eat healthy, get, get lots of <laughs> exercise. Okay,
4: <laughs> yeah. go on that low-calorie diet. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: Seventeen hundred calories a day. That'll yeah. get you my, an extra year per year. Or something. Wear my
0: seatbelt yeah. too. Yeah. yeah.
4: But you know what? Um, what might happen in your lifetime is we may find Earth-like planets around other stars in a distance. From that star where water could be liquid.
3: Yep. I'll tell you another one that could happen in your lifetime, and that is bringing rock samples back from Mars that contain definitive evidence one way or the other. Fossilized. On whether or not there right. was life at the location from which the rocks came. And ideally, you get to choose your own rocks. Yeah, see, I mean, we have rocks from, in fact, I'm sure you've got them in your museum here. Mm-hmm. We've got rocks from Mars here on Earth in the form of meteorites, but these are rocks that literally fell from the sky. Hmm. We don't know where on Mars they came from. We didn't pick them. They just came here. They don't have the pedigree that you need to order Mars, to- Mars is a very, very complex place geologically, and to be perfectly honest, most of Mars is pretty boring. Most of Mars is just covered with lava, very dry, very desolate. Solid no evidence lava. That water was there. Solid lava. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, solid lava, and, and and you know, very ancient volcanic rocks and uh, evidence for life. You're not going to find in a place like that. To find it, you got to go to the special places where you have the right minerals, the right sediments, the kind of stuff that can preserve evidence of ancient habitable watery conditions. And those are few and far between. Those. Okay, so we have Mars as a good example
0: of where to look for evidence of past life. Europa as a place to look for possible evidence of uh, you, could, life. you
3: could look for evidence of current life on Mars as well, but you probably have to drill deep, and that's hard.
0: Geek Fest continues. Man,
1: that was serious. Now,
0: Chuck, do you realize that interview in my office took place a few weeks before the announcement that we found Goldilocks planets orbiting, the, uh, right. exo- exoplanets orbiting distant stars.
1: Yeah, where they're close enough or far enough from the sun where they can have water.
0: and <laughs> At the right, distance, at not the right distance, not
1: too close. not too close, not too far. You evaporate too Hence far. Hence the Goldilocks, right?
0: The Goldilocks, exactly. <clears throat> and so for them to say this will happen in your lifetime, then happen three weeks later, you know. you ask you receive (laughs) yeah like they forked it up Uh, we we have a tweet that someone asked from a tweet this is trudvertite that's the twitter handle is the thought of exploring and terraforming mars even relevant if we can't even take care of our own planet
1: Yes, it is. Let me just feel this one. Okay, this one because goes to Chuck, we're, apparently. <laughs> we're going to need a place to go. After we mess up the Earth. Because <laughs> we're screwing this one up <laughs> royally, buddy. So we
0: need a place to go. Okay, so you, you have the opposite sense of this question. This question is, we don't deserve another planet if we can't take care of our own. You're saying it's because we can't take care of our own that we got to have the planet. <laughs> Absolutely. My, my reply is, if, you're terif- if you have the power to terraform another planet, mm-hmm. you have the power to fix your own planet. Wow! Just think about that. Wow! If you have that much control over geoengineering, right. What's a, what's a, what's a few degrees warming? Just crank the knob that lowers the temperature exactly back
1: because again. you'll know what to do. You know
0: exactly what to do.
1: Basically, that's- you'll be able to create a, a geothermal thermostat. A
0: thermostat, exactly. Ooh, Basically. Awesome phrase. Yeah.
1: Shock. Yeah. I just I don't even know where that came from. A geothermal from. thermal thermostat. thermostat. Awesome dude. Hanging out with you is rubbing oh. off on me. Ooh, this is that's great. Just Felt good. I felt smart for a second. <laughs> Still don't know what I said, and so we got these. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck.
0: And so, so you got these places. You know, Heidi raised an interesting point, and that if you're looking around for other solar systems, star systems, we don't know yet how common our star system is. Okay, we've got these eight planets. Get over it. (laughs) (laughs) We've got eight. We've got sort of Earth and Mars sort of in the Goldilocks zone. But we have these places outside of the Goldilocks zone kept warm. In the case of Jupiter, it's Jupiter's gravity stressing the moons. By the way, in the old days, people said, let's find a planet with life. But you can have a moon, if the moon is big enough, why not have life on a moon? Right. And if the host planet keeps the moon
1: warm, you don't even have to be in the Goldilocks zone of
0: the host star.
1: So now when you guys were talking about this, wait a minute. Tidal heat. Oh, tidal heat. Yes, is that when the gravity moves the planet back and forth, or stretches it? It stretches. It creates the
0: heat. It's a stretching kind of gravity, and it does that to the to the water, the oceans of the Earth that stretches them, and you Earth turns inside and out of the stretched ocean on the Earth. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're listening to Star Talk. Stay tuned for another segment. Welcome back to Star Talk. Here's more of this week's episode. There's a recent data that was released that had a set of a thousand stars, a thousand planets orbiting other stars. And so it tripled the number of, of total. So we went from 500 to now 1,500 stars, 1,500 planets,
1: 1,500 planets, in
0: orbit around stars that are not the sun. Okay, And out of those, there's about 40 or 50 Goldilocks planets that were
1: found. So there's about 40 or 50 other Earths uh, floating around out there. That could sustain they liquid could water. sustain our life or, or have water.
0: Or Jupiter-sized planets with moons that are outside the Goldilocks zone. So we, we're casting a pretty wide net in the search for this. Do you realize this whole field, the search for life in the universe it's called astrobiology that's a term if you went 20 years ago the term never ex- didn't even no one knew how to use it nobody even knew they but it was not really part of the parlance of scientific discourse and it's a field essentially invented by nasa
1: right so t- 15 years ago that would have been just called bs <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you need data. data converts BS to, 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 real, to, right. to, to real to real discourse. Uh, Carl Sagan was, of course, a, a, a very early proponent of the search for life in the universe, and we can, say, we can call him the father of astrobiology in that sense. Okay. Although there are other people who had done sort of earth-based bio experiments that preceded that. But you want to stay current on the frontier of astrobiology? Right. There's an online NASA magazine called
1: Astrobio astrobio.net.net .net. the astrobio.net for all of your astrobiology needs <laughs> yeah. it's astrobio.net so
0: now one of the one of the great frontiers here is what you have to ask how are you going to explore the nearby planets or the distant ones do you send a robot do you send a human mm-hmm. do you send a robot to do what a human can do or like that's this is the major issue a major question and I brought that up with Steve Squires and Heidi Hamill oh. and let's see what what their take is on it. One of them is a geologist and one of them is a telescope astronomer. Let's see where they take us on this issue. Given the choice, because it costs more to send people than to yes. send robots. If you had the choice of sending 30 robots to 30 different locations on Mars, or you going yourself as a scientist, not as adventure explorer, Indiana Jones hat wearing expedition
3: head, I'm talking about. Well, how about a... we talk about sending you instead?
4: <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you be able to come back? <laughs>
3: I, oh, yeah, I, I, I forgot about whether we should bring them back. Now, look, I see where you're going. with where, this. Where's the trade-off? The answer, my personal answer, is that I would send a human. Okay, and I'll give you two reasons for that. One reason is that what humans can do is so much greater than what robots are capable of now or for the foreseeable future. Wait a minute! Every time we every time we send a human, they bring out a black box that makes the
0: measurement. Well, why not make the robot? No, no,
3: no. There's, There's much more to it than that. Okay, Neil, I have spent the last 20 years of my life trying to design and operate robots that can replicate what a human might be able to do on the Martian surface. What our rovers do in a day, you and I could do in about 30 seconds. That's one thing. The other thing is that humans have a capability to synthesize information, to digest it, to figure out the next thing to do, and to improvise. Robots can't improvise the way humans can. And it's not just
0: that we're not there yet. I mean, Moore's law get us a you know this ever increasing rate. of...
4: I think you've got op- a, a, you've student. got a couple of million years of evolution to yeah, to, to yeah. go. I, to I, that we, point. We're
3: we're very very far away from that. The other reason that I would send humans. So the is, brain is still a pretty good, it's device. A terrific process. Very, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very good. The other reason I would send humans is that humans have a capability to inspire that robots simply lack. Someone once famously said, nobody's ever going to give a robot a ticker tape parade. And there is something to that. It's a little squishy. It's a little intangible. But I will tell you that our rovers were built by people like me who grew up in the 60s and 70s, watching Mercury and Gemini and Apollo on TV and dreaming of sending spaceships to Mars someday. And now we do that. Okay. We were inspired by what we saw as kids. And I think sending humans does that in a way that robots never will. So I think there's a real value to it. Where do you want to go? We could send you somewhere. And bring you
4: back. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a lot of great stuff in the solar system to see. And just picking off the low-hanging fruit, you know, I'd I'd love to... Where would you go? Where would would you go? The the next place that I would go... The fruit wouldn't have to be low-hanging.
0: Reach for it. Where would you go?
4: I'm so intrigued by the outer solar system because we know so little about it. It's
0: good scientific juices flowing here. Yeah, Mm. we
4: just know absolutely nothing about it. You're drawn
0: to where you are most ignorant.
4: Yeah, because this is that's this is a rare state most, yeah. most people state. are
0: only comfortable where they know the most but
4: oh no yeah. i want i, I want mm-hmm. you know uncover some of these these things that we just don't know
0: so give me a place
4: I would like to go to neptune Ooh.
0: Neptune. Ooh. Yeah. I to go to neptune? yeah neptune's uh, beautiful Neptune.
4: yeah, mm-hmm. because you know that planet system, not just the planet itself but it's got an incredible ring system that's chunky and and it's not smooth and beautiful like Saturn's. It's clumpy. It's very odd, very dynamic. It's changing with time. It's got a terrific moon called Triton, which was captured. It wasn't born with Neptune. It was some object that just got, oops, too close, and Neptune's already stolen. Stole it. Grabbed yeah. from
0: interplanetary space. This thing is space.
4: like a twin to Pluto. And mm-hmm. it, we know that it has... Triton,
0: is a, twin. Triton is, yeah. is a
4: twin to Pluto. We know it has ice volcanoes. It's got geysers. We've seen them. And so this moon is dynamic and changed. So the whole planetary system has something for everyone. I mean, we just learn so much.
0: So you're, you're attracted by the abject ignorance of what we know of the system. Well, it's just you. really alien. It's a it's, really yeah. alien place. Mm-hmm. It's
4: very different. I mean, these ice giants are are just so different from Earth. I mean, they don't have surfaces. You couldn't yeah, even land yeah. on it, but you could land on one of its moons, and that would be
0: great. see. Since I'm fundamentally a like a galactic person, not a not a planet person, my destination within the solar system has nothing to do with how much we know. It's just what looks the coolest. Right. Right. So where, so
2: where <laughs> would you go? Well, you I would
0: what? so go to Titan, and to just Titan. and just watch Titan. The, that's the one with the rivers of yeah, uh, methane. Yeah, it's got got lakes. methane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lakes, yeah. The poles. lakes yes. of, right. of liquid methane, and meanwhile you're orbiting Saturn. I mean, well, you I'll tell you, 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 if you want to go there, you really better eat healthy and get plenty of exercise. It's going to take a while. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys, for being on StarCraft. Chuck, you know, if we find life on Europa, you know what we should call it? But <laughs> Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> Horizon's mission flew by its primary destination, Pluto, in mid-July of 2015. And as the data continue to pour in, my colleagues are making all sorts of new discoveries about the dwarf planet. Yeah, I said it, dwarf planet. (laughs) Some of these cool results include the finding of water ice on the surface, as well as it's got a kind of a blue haze hovering over that ice. Still a mystery new findings will continue to accumulate as the data cache makes its way back to Earth over the course of the coming year. So, the coldest, or I guess that would be the coolest discoveries, may yet to be made. Thanks for listening to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And as always, I bid you to keep looking up.